NAD Ministerial presents Leadership Effect, Learning Effective Leadership Lessons with Ivan Williams. I want for us to turn there to the Old Testament. I'm going to read. Welcome to e <laughs> And this morning we're having a baby dedication. You know, every now and then. We baptize you now in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Spirit Holy Spirit. We're about to go eat. I want to thank you for the food. Is there a second to the motion? To present to you the happiest newlyweds in all the land. Muy buenos dias, amigos, hermanos y familias. God, give us strength and power to live like you told us to live. Today, Barbara Davis. First of all, let's talk about the blind spot first because... We all have them as leaders. I mean, I've been doing, I've probably done, I'll probably age myself, date myself here, but I've probably done 500 360 feedback sessions in my career, maybe even more. I only met one leader who didn't have any blind spots. And a blind spot is, you know, as we kid around, it's a delusion of competence. You think you're great at it, but the other people around you are not so much. Um, And so what I have found is that we all have at least one. Uh, And so when we have one, we don't know the noise it's creating. The problem is everyone around us knows the noise that it's creating. And one of the reasons why we strongly suggest feedback tools is so that you can get an understanding. And it's not about what you intended to do. There's your intent, then there's what you actually said and did as a behavior. Then there's the impact on other people. That's three points of disconnect. Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of blind spots come from. The person's intentions are good, but their behavior is out of alignment with their intention. If you want to keep growing, you've come to the right place. This is more than a podcast. It's a leadership platform, a resource center just for you. And there are several ways to connect. I'll share more later in the podcast about our best practices book club. You're going to love this. And you'll be interested in a special feature from Ivan Williams entitled, Here's What I've Learned. Our guest is Barbara Davis, founder and principal of Change Results Consulting. She's going to talk about research-based outcomes, helping people and organizations do something big, change culture. She will share the importance of leadership feedback. We all need that. How to address your leadership blind spots, how to focus on resilience, and a lot more. She's not a clergy person, but, but there's a whole lot you'll learn from her experiences and specialty. Let's go to the conversation. So so that's a very common question I get asked because culture, if you want to accomplish anything, whatever strategy or mission you want to accomplish, culture eats that for lunch. So if you don't have the right culture, you can't get alignment and you can't get the change that you want. So the first thing I talk to, to leaders about is what is the culture that they want that they think would help them accomplish what they're trying to accomplish? Uh, and we try and break it down into three different things. What is it that they want to accomplish? What are the behaviors that they need that everyone would have to use on a on almost a daily basis to make that a reality? So for example, in a church setting, it might be something as, 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 as essential as doing more discipleship. Um, In other times I've talked with church leaders and they said, I wish that we had a culture where people we were very welcoming as new members came to visit. And so 
that means we're clear about those five, no more than five key behaviors we need, Mm. then what's the mindset or beliefs that people would need to have to drive those behaviors? Yes. And what creates mindset and belief is the experiences we create for people. So I tell leaders that if culture eats your strategy for lunch, <laughs> leadership behavior eats your culture for breakfast. And so if you are not creating the experiences that support the mindset that you want, that will drive the behaviors that lead to the culture you want, mm-hmm. uh, and I'll give you a concrete example from the corporate world. Now, I've had so many leaders over the years say, we want to have a meritocracy. We want people to be held accountable. And then they go out and they promote someone who hasn't earned it. Wow. Uh, and Or they don't hold somebody accountable and it's very visible to the rest of the organization. That experience now creates a different mindset than the one that they want. Um, and so culture change really starts with leadership actions, not leadership words. Hmm. Now, you use the word several times, uh, behavior. You know, as a leader, we can't control the behaviors of others, but how does behavior impact culture? And why Why do you see that as a key word or a point to focus on? It's because because if you think about culture is one of those global fuzzies, right? People say, what is it? What is it? But when you look it up in the dictionary, it's a series of habits hmm. is the first thing that the dictionary talks about. Well, habits are behaviors now and mindsets that drive those habits. When we don't act in alignment with the culture that we want, we can't get to the culture that we want. And one action out of alignment takes away... 10 actions that were in alignment. Um, you know, if you, you, there's a reason why we use the word hypocrite, right? Because we're saying, we're, we're looking for people to say, well, you, that's what you said, but that's not what you did. Yes. And so that what you do, that be, and that's the literal definition of behavior, what you say and do mm-hmm. creates the experience that creates the mindset and beliefs in the culture you want. Ah, wow, that is rich. What would you say some of the ingredients are for leaders to be resilient today? Um, I, I know you've worked with organizations and and leaders come and go. Yeah, You know, leadership is hard. If it were easy, everyone would sign on to it, right? <laughs> you know, the Wall Street Journal a few years ago did a study and they asked um, new managers six months later how many of them wanted to go back to their old role, and nearly 75% said they wish they could go back to their old role without losing status uh, mm. or losing, you know, being able to say, if they could save their face and go back, <laughs> they would. So leadership is hard. Um, and here's what we know about resilience. Uh And this is an area we study a lot because I believe that the generation entering the workforce will be the least resilient that we've seen. Mm. You know, when the trophy kids come to work and everybody got a trophy and everyone got praise, it's harder to bounce back from setbacks. And yet we know that resilience is one of the three major predictors of leadership potential. Wow, really? Uh, Yes, absolutely. Um, It's The three are resilience Mm -hmm. because there's no victims in leadership. You can't. Um, you cannot roll up your sleeves while you're wringing your hands. Uh, second thing is receptivity to change and learning. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a different. Some people have a fixed mindset. The way I've done it is the way I should always do it. Versus a growth mindset. And if you don't have a growth mindset. 
your long-term leadership success is very limited because leadership is changing. Uh, And then the third thing is personal resolve. That's integrity. That's the willingness to make sacrifices. Um, Mm. And the reason why we have resilience so high up there is there's a lot of setbacks in leadership. And so some things that we we look at in our research is not only bouncing back from setbacks, but can you face reality the way it is today and act versus wasting energy wishing that things were different? Mm. So that's a critical element of resilience. One of the big benefits that the church has that we don't always have in corporate America is that people are more resilient when they focus on the higher meaning of their work. So years ago, they did a study. Why do some people bounce back from tragedy and Mm -hmm. other people don't seem to come back or years later are still in that same deep grieving place? And one of the things they found is people who had work that had meaning to them, had a calling, Mm -hmm. were more resilient and able to work through those than people who didn't have that in their lives, who maybe had a meaningless job or a job that they didn't feel a strong attachment to. And so that's a, a real benefit that you have in terms of increasing yeah. resilience. Wow. And um, can resilience be taught? Is it is it uh, an inward uh, attribute of leaders? What, what have you found about resilience? Well, we know that resilience can be taught because that's one of the things that we actually do at Change Results. We have a resiliency <laughs> results group that just focuses on building resilience because we have to build it. Mm. Um, we we are we now there are some aspects of it that we're more hard, hardwired for. Okay. For example, I'm a I'm more hardwired as an optimist. Makes it a little easier for me to be resilient. Yes. Um, on the other hand, being being strong at conflict is also an indicator of resilience. Something that I was not natural at and had to get better at. Mm. Um, the ability to handle ambiguity and deal with ambiguity. So in our toolkit, a lot of times we're looking at. Can you maneuver around the obstacle? Can you Uh, see a gray or a third way solution? Um, That's something you can be taught. Um, But you want to start with people. I tell people all the time, we need to start with these young leaders now. mm -hmm. Because the other thing is they're not going through some of the school of hard knocks that we went through at home. You know that I'm a preacher's (laughs) grandchild. And I I lived with my grandfather in my very early life. And I can tell you, there was zero tolerance (laughs) for certain behaviors that, you know, and, and praise had to be earned. Uh, sure. And it's different now. Wow. You mentioned a word, what I, what I like to call the big C, conflict. Yes. You know, in ministry, and, and we're talking to spiritual leaders yes. on this podcast, sometimes conflict is a journey. <laughs> Personally, yes. it's a journey. It is. What have you found that has impacted leaders when it comes to conflict, whether they're conflict averse or not. Are there any nuggets you can share with us about being the best leader you can be and dealing with conflict? You know, it's funny. It's like everything when they tell you, you keep your life in balance. And what we see is many people have one of two extremes. Either they're too combative, combative or competing in conflict. They, they almost have to win the argument. And then later on, they'll often say to themselves the next day, well, why did I get so stubborn? And then other people have a high need to please others. And so they'll they'll give in when they shouldn't. Uh-huh. And, and, and it's getting that balance of having 
having the courage to stand for your convictions, but being willing to hear a point of view different from your own and incorporate it into your thinking. Mm. So the key to conflict management is the ability to think that there might be a third resolution that's not your way or my way, but a different way that neither one of us have thought of. Um, And the skill behind doing that is getting at the interests and the issues that each person has. A lot of times we go into conflicts position to position, and we either hold them or we fold them, excuse me, but that's what we do, versus saying, is that the only way we could solve the problem? Hmm. For people who want to get better at stepping up to conflict, I always recommend that you have your five leadership principles that are your convictions that you stand on and that you would not compromise and can draw on when you need to assert yourself in conflict. Mm -hmm. Um, I know, for example, one of mine is treat all people at all levels with the same respect. And we I can't have anyone working for me in my firm who doesn't live that value. Mm-hmm. And it's and even though I'm conflict diverse, I that's one thing I've learned I can't have tolerance for. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, if you have you know if you tend to be competing, some people just have a debating style of conflict management. <laughs> it's listening and asking questions before giving your view that will increase your effectiveness in conflict. Listening and asking questions. Yes. Before. Before you give your view. Okay. And Peter Drucker said in the last article he wrote on the habits of highly effective executives that that was the most important habit of leaders, Mm. to listen to a point of view before giving your own whenever you can. Wow. This can be an area of blind spots for leaders as well. You use a term in a course that I took with you about lessening the noise. Yes. Um, And sometimes blind spots create a lot of noise or fallout from your leadership. Uh, How can one lessen the noise and how does one deal with his or her blind spot? First of all, let's talk about the blind spot first because... We all have them as leaders. I mean, I've been doing, I've probably done, I'll probably age myself, date myself here, but I've probably done 500 360 feedback sessions in my career, maybe even more. Mm. I only met one leader who didn't have any blind spots. And a blind spot is, you know, as we kid around, it's a delusion of competence. You think you're great at it, but the other people around you are not so much. Um, And so what I have found is that we all have at least one. Uh, And so when we have one, we don't know the noise it's creating. The problem is everyone around us knows the noise that it's creating. And one of the reasons why we strongly suggest feedback tools is so that you can get an understanding. And it's not about what you intended to do. There's your intent, then there's what you actually said and did as a behavior, then there's the impact on other people. That's three points of disconnect. Mm. And that's where a lot of blind spots come from. The person's intentions are good, but their behavior is out of alignment with their intention. And so once you understand, so it starts with self-awareness. Self-awareness. And then in terms of minimizing noise, what we really mean by that is there are some things that you can only turn down. 
So I can turn up my conflict management skills, but not to the level of combativeness. And in situations where I need it to be, where I'm standing on a conviction, I can maybe do it for just about a minute and then I got to come right back down. But at least that minimizes the noise and stops people from saying, well, Barbara doesn't stand on principle. Mm. And so I've kind of minimized that noise when I turn that flame up a little bit, even though it's outside my comfort zone. Mm. Barbara, we've talked about uh, resilience. We've talked about conflict. We've talked about blind spots. Um, if you don't mind for a few moments, I, I want to talk about you. Okay. As a, as a personal leader. I mean, you coach hundreds of people. You help and work for many organizations. Um, have you always been the best leader? No, no, no. God. Oh my lord! I have. You know, it's it's funny you should say that. That's one of the ways I know that leadership can be learned. Because when I was first a a, a supervisor, I my first job in supervision was in sales, in the days of command and control sales, okay. and and that style worked pretty well because that was those were the days. And then when I moved into human resources, that was a disaster. Um, and also people were starting to want more freedom and, and more empowerment. And, and so um, uh, I had a lot of ten. I had two main tendencies. One was to either push too hard or then when I got resistance to try and love my way out of it. Um, and, and it's funny because, you know, I know you've been through the program Leadership Through People Skills, but I went through the program Leadership Through People Skills and then my boss decided to go and when I asked her why, she said, because you've changed. Oh, wow. She said, I always liked the fact that you were driving for results, and I always liked the fact that you were an extrovert. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could never quite put my finger on why people didn't want to follow you the way you wanted them to. Mm. And then you changed. And so I know for a fact that you can change aspects of your leadership. And Ken Blanchard is famous for saying, there's nothing we can't change that we, as long as we really want to. We will return to Barbara Davis in a moment. Now, have you heard of the Best Practices Book Club? Oh, this is good. We believe leaders are readers and collaborative growth is like, in the words of Solomon, iron sharpening iron. So we see the book club as another way to be stretched, another way to grow. Every other month, Michael Campbell and Ivan Williams invite you to join them reading a book, and then you'll get to share your learning experience through a Zoom virtual experience. Here's what they say. I'm Michael Campbell. I'm Ivan Williams, and we want to invite you to Best Practices, the Pastor's Book Club. Mike, how can pastors benefit from the book club? What are the learning opportunities to be a part of of reading a book together and then discussing it. Well, I love it, Ivan, because we can just uh, collaborate together. And what the vision is, is really to foster an environment, a love for learning and growing, to challenge all of us as pastors to grow uh, in ministry and service for the Lord. Make sure you sign up for the book club. This will be an investment you won't regret. Home base for all things Leadership Effect is nadministerial.com. That's nadministerial.com. Now more with Barbara Davis, founder and principal of Change Results Consulting. Have you ever had a low point in leadership? Yeah. 
So one of my development needs, and it's an ongoing life challenge for me, is I overestimate what's possible to be done in a period of time. And I have, I had been always able to pull it out. And mm-hmm. I had a very big job, my last job in corporate America, and I ran mergers and acquisitions globally. We did 25 of them. I had a huge team, and we used to do these really large meetings where if we were integrating a whole bunch of businesses, we would bring everybody together. We would do all kinds of things. We'd have Harvard business professors come and talk about branding issues. We would do systems training. I mean, you you name it, we could, we were the jack of all trades. Hmm. And we took on a hugely ambitious project and we definitely undercalled it. Hmm. We kept saying to ourselves the whole time, oh, no, no, we'll, we'll be able to make the save, make the save. And for those of you who follow hockey, it was like being in the the goalie when Wayne Gretzky was taking penalty shots one right after the other, and it was not a success. Hmm. And there's two things I learned from that experience. One, yes, time and task is finite at some point. Mm-hmm. You can be too resilient. You can be too, yeah, no, no, let's have our game face on. We can make this work. Um, you need to have always someone on your team, and I always do to this day, who's more pragmatic about and skeptical um, and somewhat of a contrarian about what's possible in a short period of time. Sure. But the positive lesson that I learned was the importance of a game face hmm. because my team, it was I mean, we had angry group presidents. We had 300 people in a room, and the entire IT system failed while they were in the middle of training. And it was, it was, there was, there wasn't anything that was really going well. (laughs) But one of my employees said afterwards, every time I saw you, you were smiling. You were like, well, let's just figure it out. And, and he said, and, and meanwhile, I was, I was, I mean, I was going to my room every night and literally crying myself to sleep. Mm. But I never showed that. And that just, just is because that's my natural style. But I learned the importance of a game face. And I tell leaders all the time, in crisis, make sure you know what your game face is going to be. Because that's a way of, that's how you are a multiplier. Mm -hmm. People really need you to multiply when things aren't going well. They need that less when things are going well. Gotcha. Leadership through people skills. Mm -hmm. You mean leaders need to be in relationship with the people they lead? Well, that's absolutely true. And and that's one of the things, by the way, that we're also hardwired for to do either naturally mm-hmm. or not. And a lot of people believe that you have to have people skills in your core in order to be an effective leader. Mm-hmm. And that's actually a myth. Hmm. Um, it's, really? it's a paradox. You don't have to have it in your core personality, but the failure to develop it Ah. is a derailer. Now, one of our ministry leaders, one of our pastors may be listening to say, you know, I'm an introvert. I really struggle yes. to uh, not only develop people skills, but be energized by being around people. How, how would you help a person like that? So a couple of things. First of all, I always believe, let's talk about the strengths. Okay. Introverts are more natural listeners than us extroverts. Okay. And we know that listening, especially curious listening, is one of the big leadership skills that makes a huge difference. The issue is, is that introverts listen silently. So one of the first things I teach introverts is how to listen reflectively and out loud. That does several things. It causes them to be perceived more approachable. 
A lot of times people are very introverted. Their employees will say things like, well, they're kind of cold or they're unapproachable. And and they'll often say, "But, but I'm not. I'm really a loving, caring person. But when you're introverted, you may not show that. So <laughs> reflective listening really helps. Your batteries are going to get drained with multiple people interactions. So you need to know what recharges your battery so you can recharge. And a lot of times, especially for introverted leaders in the church whom I've coached, mm-hmm. it's about making sure on that day when you're doing that camp meeting that you have carved out some time for reflection and prayer to recharge yourself. Yeah. Uh, even if it's half an hour, it will make you so much more effective. Do extroverts naturally develop people skills? Um, I said naturally, but do they have people skills that are more natural in leadership than those who are introverted, would you say? No, you know, that's a big myth that we all used to believe. We used to believe in the charismatic extroverted leader and that that gets the people engaged. And Jim Collins in his research on leadership showed that there's also another very effective style, what he called the level five leader, the quiet, relentless, humble leader who is steely about getting things done but very humble and a listener. So Mm. we now know from the research that there's no one right uh, recipe. The behavior, so extroverts have a disadvantage in that we're not natural listeners. And listening helps people feel cared about, helps them feel, um, it makes you more effective as a coach. It makes you more effective when you have to counsel employees on their choices. So we have to work on our listening skills. Mm. There are three or four key skills that if you have them in your toolkit, no matter what your style is, you're going to be more effective. Now, Barbara, as a leader yourself, uh, you 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 are a specialist at coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, why is coaching important today uh, in leadership? You know, we we don't what we didn't understand years ago in leadership development was the power of an individual development plan. So we used to do like mass training programs. And and I still have clients who do that for core things that everybody should know about leading within their organization. Yeah. That said, that's as far as we used to go. And that left a big cleft. Mm-hmm. So what coaching does, and if you're really effective as a coach, you're understanding that person, their motivations, their own self-awareness. You're helping them recalibrate where they have some delusions of competence. Sure. And, and, you're, and then you're figuring out collaboratively what would help this person get stronger as a leader. Mm. And you're taking into account not how you learn, how they learn. Okay. Uh, sure. So that's that's what, and, and and it's very individualized. So what we see is a rapid return. Ah. And it, you, that you don't necessarily get from a training program per se. So coaching helps to yield quicker returns. It does. It does. As long as the person is opening to coaching. Barbara, you have worked with corporate organizations. You work with church organizations. Are there glaring differences between the two when it comes to how leaders grow and uh, the 
um, impact of leadership? You know, I'll tell you, the biggest difference that I've seen, there's a couple of differences. The big one that stands out to me is how hungry church leaders are for leadership development. Now, I had the honor of doing the Ministerial Spouse Leader program a couple weeks ago, and I, I have been doing this for a long time. And it happens to me also, every time I do a conference president meeting or I meet with pastors, the hunger for help with leadership. You see, in corporate America, we kind of sometimes have to have that mask of, I call it the imposter syndrome. I don't need it because that's how I got here. I'm good enough. And and so so you have to work with people to kind of bring that mask down. That we don't have, at least in my experience with church leaders, it's more like, we could have had this, (laughs) couldn't we have had this 20 years ago or five years ago? Right. Yeah. So there's a hunger for it. Um, And I think the other major difference is it's the need to influence other people Mm. and not to try and rely on command skills. You know, and command skills get a bad rap because in leadership, sometimes when we need to stand on our convictions, Mm -hmm. we need to take command. But in your environment, you really have to be super good at having those convictions and being collaborative and influencing other people. Um, And sometimes I think, what I've observed with the church leaders is they struggle with if they if they go too far on the collaborate consensus scale, they don't address conflicts and those yeah. keep and, and and resentment builds in the membership of why are you letting that person dominate that meeting? Why mm. is the, the number one comment I get is the loudest voice being heard? Right. If they go too far the other way, see in corporate America, at some point I would just take someone on my team aside and say, You can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> But a committee member in the church who's a volunteer and means well, that's a more collaborative coaching conversation. So I think it's harder to strike the balance Mm. in in how you you know address you know you know development needs in members that are affecting the team. So leading volunteers, are you summarizing maybe a little more challenging? than leading paid employees? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Interesting. We're about to wrap it up here, and um, I want to ask you a few more personal questions about leadership. Do you have a book or books that you could recommend for those who are listening. Yeah, there's a, there's there's two that I really highly recommend. And you know my first one is going to be Leadership Through People Skills. <laughs> yes. And the reason is what, what Vic Bazzotta and Bob Lefton did was they took the principles of human nature and they created a model for those. Human nature is so complex. Personality is so complex. Mm-hmm. But behavioral patterns that show what's motivating someone in the moment Mm-hmm. And that's what we were doing with the ministerial spouse leaders. And they just couldn't, they felt like they had been given like the secret decoder ring. <laughs> um, and, and it's been true for me. And I know you've had that experience as well. Uh, it helps you understand why people sometimes don't seem to be motivated in the way that you want them to do and mm-hmm. how not to fight their motivators. Mm-hmm. Um, it also gives you very advanced skills in questioning and reflective listening, which we know are essential to leadership. So that'd be my first one. Okay. My second one would be Dave Ulrich's um, The Leadership Code, um, because he really organizes 
in the same way that I like to think about it, the four major things that a leader has to be good at. Developing themselves, having a vision for the future, executing today, and building the next generation of talent and engaging the talent of today. And as you know, our model is purpose, performance, yes. people, and personal. And his model mirrors that. And I think it's, I think it's a really great book. How do you keep growing? It's a really good question. So first of all, I'm one of, I everybody learns differently. I learn from being exposed to other people's learning. One of the reasons I became a consultant, people ask me that all the time, was because as much as I was learning, you know, running a, a big function at Arrow, the, the issue for me was when I became a consultant, I get exposed to, you know, Microsoft's best practices or Levi's best practices mm. or, you know, Regeneron's best practice. So I get exposure to other people's thinking and ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of my best ideas come from clients. The other thing is, in, I do read the Harvard Business Review on a regular basis. You and those of you, I know, <laughs> and I know those of you who've been coached by me will probably say, oh, yes, I got to do that. But the reason I do is because it expands my thinking mm. on culture building and strategy. You know, and that's the main articles that I read. Oh, and talent. The last, the last um, uh, edition just had a huge article on you know predicting leadership talent and how you build future leaders. Wow. So I take a lot from that. And then I'm constantly keeping up on what I think is. I don't read every book that comes out in the field because <laughs> some of my colleagues do. What I do is I wait till one of my colleagues says, oh, that was really great. And I go, okay, I'm going to read that one. Right. <laughs> Barbara, why does leadership matter to you? You know, it's funny because I had a group yesterday tell me we are so passionate about this. And the reason I'm so passionate about it is I have seen it over and over again in my career that one leader's behavior either raises the, the whole team or I've also seen a leader's behavior just cripple a team. Mm. And so what what we take on as leaders is our the way we develop and grow doesn't just affect us personally. It has a ripple effect on so many people. Mm. And so that's why I think I'm so passionate about it. Awesome. Would you finish this sentence for me? And it's it's your personal sentence, okay. your personal statement. Leadership is Leadership is meeting the needs of others so you can meet the goals of a higher mission. Wow, what a wealth Barbara shared about leadership. That's some good stuff. We will definitely have her back. And now, the special feature we call, Here's What I've Learned. Ivan Williams, here's what I've learned. Have you ever served with leaders who were threatened by your giftedness? or worked in a culture sabotaged by passive aggressiveness? Have you felt like your new ideas always get put down when offering solutions? That sounds like a toxic culture to me, and it can derail mission and vision in ministry. I've seen bad leadership, and yes, even experienced toxic culture in ministry, have you? As a leader, how do you address this? Where do you even begin? Well, why not begin with much prayer and relationship building? Get to know the people, and it may help you discover how to change the culture. Build greater transparency and trust 
have periodic feedback sessions that deliver frank conversations about what is expected and create a culture of safety and accountability. By dealing with a ministry stuck and living on past accomplishments, you will, by God's grace, begin to see a change. Pray and do, pray and model, and remember, the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. Here's what I've learned. Thanks again for joining us on Leadership Effect. We are your resource center, your growth platform. Every podcast, we will be encouraging you on your growth journey. Just go to nadministerial.com to find what you need. Whether you join our Best Practices Book Club or find out more about our interviews or maybe you want to gain more insight from our guests, here's our promise. You won't be disappointed. Tell a friend about us. Please like, share, and subscribe so you can be notified when we post new episodes. We're here to help you grow. Keep going so you can keep growing for God's glory. Leadership Effect. Leadership Effect is a production of NAD Ministerial. Executive producer, Ivan Williams. Designed by Halloran Hilton Hill for NAD from Anything is Possible. Written and produced by Ivan Williams. Edited by Taizi Snyder.